You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins, Mike Chappell with me per usual. Dave Griffiths is out at the track today. It is the month of May in Indianapolis, and he is very busy, could not join us for this episode, but we have a great episode on tap. We'll be discussing the Colts 2022 schedule uh, just released last week. We'll give our thoughts on that, takeaways, and make some predictions um, about what record the Colts might end up with, but we'll also discuss some free agent news, Colts bringing in uh, established veteran running back, uh, a couple other free agents the Colts may have had interest in signing elsewhere, and the Colts might not be done. Chris Ballard always talking about um, player acquisition is not just in the springtime, but throughout the entire year. So we'll discuss some veterans that may end up with the horseshoe yet. But first, we're going to start with news. Jim say announced that Colts great left tackle Targ Glenn, he'll be getting into the Ring of Honor this year, and his induction ceremony will take place October 30th during the halftime of the Washington game. Mike, you've been advocating for Targ Glenn to get into the Ring of Honor uh, for a long time now. He's finally getting in. We knew that part. Now we finally know the date. Overdue. I've said overdue. And not to disparage other guys, but Tariq should have gone in before, like Jeff Saturday. He, he was just a—he was that good. Probably one of the more underappreciated players across the league. Uh, it, it's funny whenever people, when Colts fans listen, hear Tariq, Tariq Glenn's name, they say, "Oh, you mean the false start guy, right?" And, and the guy that didn't let Peyton Manning get blown up from the backside. So. And I can still remember all the time talking to, to the, the late Howard Mudd about Tarek, and he swears, he swears he watches video, and Tarek wasn't jumping the gun. He was just quicker than everyone else, so it looked like he was offsides or, or false start. So well-deserved, great guy. Uh, looking forward to having him back here in, in October. And I'm sure we'll discuss him a little more in October uh, before that game. A little bit of free agent news now to discuss. Colt sign former Pro Bowl running back Philip Lindsay to a one-year contract. Lindsay had a 1,000-yard rushing seasons in 2018 and in 2019 with the Denver Broncos. Um, he spent last season with Houston and Miami. Not his best year, both in terms of production and opportunity, just 88 carries. 2.8 yards per carry, um, but you have to consider the offensive lines and the state of the offenses that he was trying to perform in. Uh, the undrafted free agent turns 28 in July. Mike, what are your thoughts on this signing? This is this – is, Chris Ballard's always said, be patient, be patient, we know what we're doing. And here's one where they add a veteran presence to their running back room, and there's no given that he'll be on the 53. One thing he's going to have to do as a third running back behind JT and Hines is play special teams. That's why Marlon Mack was inactive so much last year is he didn't play special teams, so they kept Deion Jackson up. But th- th- this is along the same lines of, of Rodney McLeod and, and Brandon Fashion and Armani Watts, Dennis Kelly. It, it's people who have played. They've done it. I would rather have that than – go into the the season with, with undrafted rookies or guys 
who just haven't done it at, at a level that Lindsay and Kelly and McLeod have. So I like it. They're addressing depth, and they need to address depth elsewhere, which we'll get to in a bit. I like the signing as well. It kind of plays, you know, if something would ha- happen to Jonathan Taylor and he misses a few games, um, in theory, a running back duo with Philip Lindsay and Naheem Hines is a pretty decent duo to get you through for a little while. Um, assuming he can be at, beat out Deion Jackson. We didn't see a lot of Jackson last year. I remember he scored a touchdown during garbage time of the Houston I think game. He had, I think he had 13 carries for like 31 yards, which it, is, you know. You know. Not, not a whole lot to work with when you're trying to make an assessment of him. Uh, undrafted rookie free agent last year, Philip Lindsay, another undrafted guy himself. So they'll compete in training camp, and I'm sure the best man will win. Special teams will play a part in that. Um, but the Colts do not want to rely completely on Naheem Hines if anything were to happen to Taylor. Um, so that's just a little bit more insurance there. Some other veterans that the Colts were rumored to have um, interest in or just kind of made sense that the Colts might be interested in. One, cornerback uh, James Bradbury, he signed elsewhere. He's now with the Philadelphia Eagles. One-year deal, $10 million, $7.5 million guaranteed. Um, Jarvis Landry, another veteran to sign elsewhere. He's now with the Saints. Mike, just one-year, $3 million base salary with another $3 million in incentives. So maximum, the Saints are paying Jarvis Landry $6 million. Um, those contract details from NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. Are you surprised the Colts didn't end up with um, either of these players, especially Landry, seeing how you know affordable his contract was? Yeah, Bradbury, no. Landry, at least mildly, yes. But 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 I'm you know super obsessed with receivers, and when I've seen what some of these receivers, veteran guys who have performed, what they're getting, I'm not talking. Christian Kirk, what was it, 20, 20 million, whatever it was, a year. I'm talking, you know, Landry, three million plus what another three million in, in incentives. That's that's reasonable. It's just reasonable. Uh, that's why I think maybe you know they still. I still think they sign a, a veteran, which we'll get to. But I see some of the guys at, at receiver and tight end that signed, not massive contracts, but they're doing things their way. And and I've said all along. We sit and we complain, which that's what we do in the media. So in October, this either works, what they've done will either work or not. And receiver is still the one that I have a serious question about. Yeah, a couple of receivers still out there with, you know, obvious ties to the Colts. A.T.Y. Hilton, um, longtime Colt, and then Julio Jones as well, who him and Matt Ryan uh, put up big numbers in Atlanta year after year. Do you think, you know, is there a guy who, if you had to bet, you'd put your money on lands with Indianapolis? Are any of these guys um, uh, kind of on the edge to coming to India, or do you think the, that ship has kind of passed? I think they're they're serious about wanting to, to, to seriously debate T.Y. internally. I think they'd like to have him back. Uh, Julio Jones, I get the impression that, that he's not in the mix. I think they have concerns over over the hamstrings you've got that he's missed seven games in each of the last two years. And I, I, I just think they don't go that way, despite the obvious uh, connection w- w- with Matt Ryan. T.Y. will see Stephen Holder of The Athletic and one of our guys had a good story today about 
an update, I guess, of T.Y. There's really no update other than the Colts still are interested. He's interested. T.Y. has uh, interest from other teams. Uh, I, I, I just wonder at this point of free agency, if money's an issue, I think he gets as much here as he, as he will somewhere else because teams, for the most part, have their roster together. And again, when you see Landry gets $3 million, I mean, that, that's what are you going to pay T.Y.? I don't know. Three, four million? I don't know. It, it, I'd assume it'd be similar to Landry's right. deal. And the big thing with T.Y., he would have to understand his role coming back. It, it, it would not be number two. That's, that's Alec Pierce. It's got to be Alec Pierce. Number three, you hope, the slot guy. And I think he can still play. I think he can play at a decent level. And accepting the role, I, I, if he comes back here, it would be because he accepts the role. And, and I think he would. I just think from times we saw last year, he still can play. There were times he made plays, and it just didn't work for a lot of reasons as far as you know decent numbers. But then, too, he's had injury concerns over the last, what, two or three years. So if I were a betting man, I'd say T.Y.'s back, and I just don't see Julio Jones. Yeah, T.Y. Hilton's missed six or more games in two of the last three seasons. Um, his last 1,000-yard season was 2018. I think those days are behind him. But he could still be a solid role player, maybe give you six, 700 yards if he's able to stay healthy. I think the slot would be the best kind of role for T.Y. at this point in his career. He can still run crafty routes, get open, make those third-down conversions, which is kind of when he played what he specialized in. Last season, he would have a lot of key third downs. Maybe he only had three catches in the game, but they were picking up third downs and moving the chains for the Colts. His yard per catch was back up last year to, uh, I believe, over 14. That's what I say. I, I think he showed that in the right situation, he can flourish. And I think Matt, he and Matt Ryan, with with Pittman and, and Pierce on the outside, and then if Jelani Woods can give you something down the middle, I just think T.Y. in that role can be – could be pretty interesting. And we know how much he means to the locker room and the players uh, and coaches in that building. He'd be another great voice for a guy like Alec Pierce and the other young guys they have on this team to go with Reggie Wayne, two guys who have done it in this city and did it, um, you know, top-notch level for a long time. So Yeah, because, again, I think we, we shouldn't understate the value of Reggie Wayne, his influence. But at the same time, it's important, I think, to have someone in the receiver's room, a player, your teammate, who who kind of leads the way. And right now, there there isn't that guy. There just isn't Michael Pittman's going into his third year. That's not Pittman would have to become that guy. Right, correct. And, and I think it's important. You know, when Ty came in, he had Reggie. And I think I think to have a guy in the field to kind of show you in practice, you know, in, in the rep line. Uh, and again, but at the same time. If you bring T.Y. back, it can't be because he'd be a great coach on the field. You've got that with Reggie. He's got to be a player that you that you believe can play and you will use the right way. And if he comes back, then then everybody will agree that, 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 that they've come to resolution on how he will be used. Yeah, and something I've heard a lot on Twitter out of people is, oh, don't worry about the slot. Naheem Hines is going to play slot receiver this year. I kind of want to lay to rest rumors that he's going to become like a full-time slot wide receiver for the Colts. I think they will split him out a little bit more than they did last year. We saw that more when Phillip Rivers 
was throwing passes here, but I don't think Hines is the every down answer and just becomes your third slot wide receiver. Um, you know, size is working against him. Um, I don't, I, I just don't think he's made to play like that. And that kind of takes away his value of what he can do out of the backfield as well. Right. Yeah. It, it's, I, I think he will get more work this year because he didn't get enough work last year. Now, whether that was uh, his, his snaps were down a little, his touches were down a little, but I think there was uh, too many instances where they didn't look his way. They weren't real good. And, and this always goes back to maybe a Carson Wentz issue. But they they really didn't utilize the the, the check downs to, to Taylor and Hines. I think you're going to see that increase with Matt Ryan. You, you just when you have so few playmakers, use the ones you have. Yeah, absolutely. And and the Colts coaching staff has said as much. Um, Chris Ballard has said we got it. We got to get Hines more involved this offseason. I think he will be. Um, but having a veteran like T.Y. Hilton. Hoping that a guy like Paris Campbell, who you spoke to this week, we can get to a little bit later in the show. Um, hopefully one of those two guys can be with the team, remain healthy, and make an impact this season. Other free agent wide receivers include uh, some big names. Will Fuller's still out there. Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, um, Odell Beckham Jr., who is still recovering from the knee injury in the Super Bowl. Uh, but at this point, I feel like if the Colts bring in the veteran, it's probably going to be a familiar guy within like T.Y. Hilton. All the players I just listed have a yeah, but Fuller has been riddled with injuries throughout his entire career. The one year he stayed healthy, he ended up being suspended towards the end of the year. So that, that they're for uh, performance enhancing drugs. Maybe that was the reason he was able to stay healthy. Emmanuel Sanders is 35 years old. Um, I already mentioned the injury with Odell. Uh, Cole Beasley's 33. Well, I think anyone who follows the NFL knows his position on vaccines. And there's, uh, we know how that kind of rubbed Jim Ursay the wrong way at times with certain uh, of his players not being vaccinated. So I'd be surprised if the Colts, for that reason, brought in Beasley. Doesn't it just seem like it's almost T.Y. or nobody at this point? It, it does. It, it does. Because I don't know who, after you know all these names you go through, who the fallback guy is. And if it's not T.Y., then they're going to be banking a whole lot on, on Patman, on Strawn. And, again, we talked with, with Paris Campbell yesterday. And you try not to get too attached or whatever to players and where you're pulling for them or whatever. But I tell you, this kid – if to to go against the grain, this is a guy you just hope he stays healthy because he has shown what he can do. He's a, he he can you know he can be that dynamic player out of the slot. His size when you're sitting there watching him, he's I think he's only listed at six foot two oh five or two ten, and he looks bigger, but he's got the size, he's got the speed, he, he he's powerful. But you can't miss what is it thirty? He's missed thirty four of forty nine games. With, with significant injuries. So uh, maybe this is a year. Uh, the problem going into the season or even training camp, not training camp, I guess, that, that's when it'll be proven. But you can't, you can't say, well, we got, we've got Paris Campbell. You can't go that approach because you haven't had Paris Campbell for so long. So you, you hope this guy stays healthy. And if he does, if he would stay healthy, then, then T.Y.'s return isn't that important. But you simply can't bank on Paris Campbell, unfortunately. 
No, and, you know, we can go ahead and talk about Paris Kimball. He kind of uh, said, you know, people see me as an injury-prone player. Not to hell with that, I think was the quote yesterday. Um, And I saw that kind of got maybe a little bit of backlash on Twitter from people just being like, well, prove it. Prove it then. Correct. But at the same time, I don't know what other attitude you want him to have. He has to be like, no, I'm going to prove people wrong and stay healthy. Um, So I I like to see that uh, out of Paris Campbell. Still just 24 years old. He'll turn 25 in July. Two years removed now from the serious knee injuries. So hopefully maybe some of that explosiveness comes back. Even um, he made the big play against Houston. But that's really the only one that comes to mind when I think of big plays Campbell made and because he did play a handful of games last year it's not like he missed the entire season I can't really think of many big plays besides the Houston game so maybe second year removed from the major knee injury um, he's able to play a little bit better Uh, I think he said he got screws now out of his foot they were in his foot when he returned for the Jaguars game he had a plate and screws in his foot that he played with in, in the Jacksonville game and had those removed he said this is the first off season He's not really dealt with rehab. And, and one thing, I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but, but two years ago he had, he had a really strong game in the opener against Jacksonville where he showed what he could do. He had some runs on the jet sweeps or whatever and, and some nice catch and runs. And then the next game, or was it the f- first quarter or maybe the first series, he runs that jet, jet sweep to the right and Harrison Smith takes him out and, blow, and tears two, two uh, knee, knee ligaments. So m- maybe the maybe he's got these out of his system. I, I don't know. But because what, what, what's crazy is, is this is a guy that wasn't injured during, at Ohio State. It's not like you took a player who was injured and, you know, lo and behold, he's still injured. No, this is a guy that was healthy. He played. And now he's had trouble staying on the field. And I, uh, again, may, maybe it's time that, that he can avoid it. These haven't been hamstring or whatever and these these have been breaks it's a broken hand broken foot knee and all this so you just pull for the guy and he could be the wild card but we've said that in the past yeah it's so strange that they're all different kind of injuries usually if it's a player injury prone they have a bad knee that keeps getting hurt or a back or some recurring thing for the most part with Paris Campbell it's been one thing after another uh, not necessarily showing that he has you know a certain weakness where his knee just won't hold up anymore or something like that. So, you know, you, you wish the best for Paris Campbell, and if he can stay healthy, he should be the starting slot receiver and make a big impact this year for the Colts, but you just can't bank on that. So hopefully they bring in a T.Y. Hilton. And between T.Y. and Campbell, hopefully the combination of those two players gives them something to hang their hat on um, at that number three receiver position. Yeah, and with Campbell, we, I mean, to tell you how bad it got, was it last year or two years ago, he gets a concussion in a car accident during training camp. I mean, that does that tell you that this guy is, you know, on the wrong side of, of injuries? So, so again, ho- hopefully he will. He could be – he's a wild card, but he could be such an addition to this offense. I guess you, as Colts fans, you just keep your fingers crossed. That's all you can do at a certain point. Um, looking at the quarterback position somewhere, or specifically the backup quarterback position, it's a spot where we've kind of talked about the past couple years. The Colts haven't really addressed it with a reliable veteran. Um, looking at free agents, Nick Foles is one that really stands out. 
you know, we all know about the success he had with Wright in Philadelphia, winning the Super Bowl after Carson Wentz got hurt. A few other names on here, Cam Newton, um, 33 years old, the same age as Nick Foles. Ryan Fitzpatrick is on here, age 39, um, suffered the hip subluxation. I think I'm saying that right. In week one last year, missed the entire season. Um, so I'd be kind of surprised if the Colts brought in a 39-year-old quarterback coming off a major injury like that. Uh, a couple other names, Mike Glennon, A.J. McCarron. But, Mike, it seems to me that Nick Foles just makes too much sense not to happen. Sometimes it's just don't overthink it, don't overcomplicate it. You look at the history that that he has with Frank, which Frank had history with Carson Wentz as well, which didn't work out so well. This is This is totally different. Uh, they have a history in, in Foles, you know, career highlights came in 17 when he took over for Wentz and, and took the Eagles to the Super Bowl, MVP and all that. So I think it's a guy that comes in, he realizes his role. He realizes that ideally he won't play because, you know, what Ryan's missed three games in 14 years, one since 2012, I think it is. So it, it's, but but at the same time, Again, I say don't overcomplicate it. They need to sign a veteran guy, and Foles makes sense. All that they've done, and we've talked about, and it just drives me crazy, we've talked about, boy, they got Philip Lindsay for depth at running back. They've they've got Stephon Gilmore, but also Brandon Fashion at corner. They've got Armani Watson and Rodney McLeod at safety, so they're really addressing depth because depth is a concern. What depth isn't a concern at quarterback? I mean, it's just crazy. If they've got a veteran quarterback last year, last year, Wentz doesn't play in Nashville. He couldn't move. No. And that game with him as being as immobile as he was, was still winnable. Very winnable. If if the quarterback can make plays. And I'm not convinced that, you know, if there's a Matt Hasselback type guy on this roster last year, he might start against the Raiders or or uh, Jacksonville, or at least maybe is comes off the bench at Jacksonville. So I I just think that it the, the, the everything that they've done in in, in the off season shows us that they believe they are a team ready that w- is ready to compete for something. AFC South certainly, maybe a deep run. If that's the case. Pay the insurance policy, the premium, on a backup quarterback who's been there, and don't roll the dice that, that Matt Ryan can play seventeen games again, because you know, folks, this is the NFL, and players get hurt. Yeah, the Colts had such little confidence in their backup quarterbacks last year, whether it was Huntley, Eason for a few weeks, um, Sam Mellinger once he returned from his injury that it was basically Carson Wentz or nothing. And, and we saw how poorly that turned out for them. Um, I'd be really surprised if they didn't learn their lesson and bring in a veteran like Nick Foles, who's not going to cost you much. What, one year, three million, something like Five that? Five million and then some bonuses Yeah, yeah. for, for starts. It, it just Some things are just too obvious. This is too obvious. One thing that Chris Ballard, we talked to him last week, always a good session talking to him. He always stresses patience, patience. We'll do things when we're ready. We've seen all the uh, under-the-radar veteran signings that they've done. They've come late. 
you know, I don't agree with what they've done at receiver, but that's that that's another thing. But I, I just think that at, at some point they bring in Nick Foles. It seems like if, you, if you're going to bring in people, though, bring them in so they're so they're here for the three weeks of, of OTAs, which mm-hmm. are coming up next week. So that so you're not bringing them in 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 July, and training camp will be their first exposure. So get them in here. Ty, not it's it's important he works with Matt Ryan, but he knows the offense. The backup quarterback, I, I think it's important to have guys like that. Philip Lindsay, get them in there so so they're exposed to what you're doing. So if you're going to bring in Nick Foles, unless there, there's competition and another team is talking to him, get him in so he can get up to speed with what they're doing here. And even if you really like Sam Ellinger. Bring in Foles, have them compete in training camp. Correct. If, if Ellinger wins the backup job, cut Nick Foles and go with Ellinger. Obviously, you're going to go with whoever's better, but you can't hang your hat on a guy who's never thrown an NFL pass versus a guy like Nick Foles, 56 career starts. Uh, he had one last year with the Bears. Seven, got a, he's got a winning record as a, as a starter. Winning record, seven starts in 2020 with the Bears. So he's a guy who's um, been out there starting. He can... In the right situation, he can be a winning quarterback. He's not the kind of guy we've seen him struggle in Jacksonville. We've seen him struggle with the Rams, the Chiefs. He's not that guy to elevate a franchise. But if the things are there around him, he can distribute the ball to the right places. And that's kind of what this Colts offense with Frank Wright is all about, just getting the ball the ball to the right place at the right time and letting playmakers make plays. Um, last position, free agency I kind of want to bring up here. Are the Colts done at cornerback? Um, uh, the reports were they kind of kicked the tires on Bradbury or at least had some level of interest. There are several veterans still out there. Janoris Jenkins, Joe Hayden, Kyle Fuller, Kevin King seems like a guy with his length who might fit this uh, system with Gus Bradley, Fabian Moreau. And then, of course, Xavier Rhodes and TJ Carey are still out there as well. Do you think the Colts bring in another veteran to maybe be a fourth or fifth guy, kind of compete? Um, or do you think they're set? With what they have, obviously, Gilmore is your number one. You know who's playing in the slot. That's Kenny Moore. And then kind of let um, Isaiah Rogers and, oh, I'm blanking on the guy they brought in from the Raiders. What's his name? Um, um, Starts with an F. <laughs> Fashon, Brandon Fa- Fashon. Brandon Fashon, thank you. Um, do you think that the Colts are comfortable with what they have or they're going to bring in some more competition? I, I never close the door on bringing in competition. I think for the most part they're done, but that's why I wasn't surprised really they didn't go after Bradbury, only because they invested two years and twenty three million in Gilmore. That's more of a position decision to me than player position. Uh, adding another corner, I, I won't rule it out. Which one of these guys fits? I don't know. I mean, that's something they simply don't share. But I, you know, I think they take the approach in the NFL. This is a passing league. They're going to face the AFC West, which has arms. They just have passing games. So you need four. You need at least four competent corners. Yeah, because, I mean, Gilmore's 31. The chances that he starts every game are pretty slim. Right. And somebody's going to get banged up. Somebody's going to have whatever to deal with. And I just remember the Baltimore game. And they showed clips. They showed clips when – Hollywood Brown was traded to wherever he went. Uh, Arizona. Arizona. 
and they showed his touchdown against the Colts, and Bo Pete Keys is chasing <laughs> him down the field. So if if you have a weakness at corner, the teams are going to find it. And when a cornerback screws up, it's not five yards. It's a touchdown. So are they done? I, I would say probably. But as soon as I say that, they're going to find somebody on this list or somebody else and sign into that one-year, $3 million contract and just make yourself stronger. They always say you can't have enough pass rushers and you can't have enough offensive linemen and defensive linemen. You can't have enough corners. Safeties, maybe you can, you know, if you're given somewhere, but corners, if you haven't got enough, teams are going to find them. Teams, teams will find your weakness. And, you know, every year someone gets dinged up in training camp. It just happens. So maybe, you know, somebody goes down and that's when they bring in a veteran. Um, Mike, you spoke to several Colts this week with their media availabilities. We kind of talked about what Paris Campbell had to say. Um, was there anything else that, from your availabilities? Who all did you talk to and what kind of stood out to you? Yeah, we talked to uh, Paris and, and Braden Smith and McLeod, and then we had Dio Odiyingbo, which he's in, we talk wild cards. He's a wild card because we really didn't see much last. We had the big play against Jacksonville when they were kind of driving to go ahead in the fourth quarter. He and DeForest Buckner collaborated on a strip sack fumble, but he he did he he's going to be interesting to watch because he you know he's the one remember that Chris Ballard said that had it not been for the Achilles that he he thought he was a first round talent. And last year he misses the first half of the year, recovering from the Achilles, and he never really he never really got past it, got through it, whatever the term is. Health wise, he did, but I remember we talked to Eric Fisher last year when he was having you know inconsistency issues, and he said he was pretty well back. But it was like that last five or ten percent where you where you haven't got your your twitch and your explosiveness back. And that's what was missing from Dio last year. He looks great. He's got that length that you like. And he's going to be working behind, I believe, Quiddy Pay at that the big end spot on the left where you're going to have Yannick uh, on the right side at their Leo position. So this is a guy that we really didn't see much last year, and maybe we see a lot this year. And he's all of a sudden in a new role. You know, when the Colts drafted him last year, based on the roster, based on how things were set up, he was kind of expected to be a guy who could become a starter on the left side with quitting on the right. Now he can kind of, I don't want to say the pressure is off of him because obviously he's a player who's not established in the league and is trying to say, I belong here. I deserve a role. But he just kind of has to be a guy who, um, isn't expected to be a starter in every down player and just kind of fills in when needed, fills in for injuries. Maybe on third down, he slides inside. I mean, he's a big guy, 6'5", I believe he was 280, um, long 35-inch arms. So he's got you know all the physical attributes you could ask for. Um, I'm really excited about this Colts defensive line this year with Pei, uh, Odangbo, Yannick, um, and then, the, uh, of course, the Colts might have the best interior duo in the NFL. Um, you could definitely argue that case. So um, I, I think Odengbo's great, um, in a great position to succeed this year. And I forget, it might have been Lara Overton who tweeted it out. I forget, but I saw 
Braden Smith said something about between him and Pinter, the Colts might have the shortest arms on the right side in the league. Um, I think they're both at like 32-inch arms, which is not the kind of length you're looking for typically in an offensive lineman as they're trying to keep those defensive linemen at bay. But that kind of signals to me that Pinter might be the guy at right guard. We kind of thought that, but obviously um, that's not anything that's been said or established. Um, Would you be surprised if someone overtook Pinter for the right guard spot? No. And again, one thing on the arm length that came up when we were talking, I think about Raymond. Yeah. Because he was a 32 and a half as well, mm-hmm. I think. Same, And they were talking about how he and, and Braden Smith were so similar body type-wise. And Braden was a 32.5 probably, 32 and a half. Yeah. Roughly. Well, keep in mind, though, that they, they drafted Braden Smith to be a guard. He played guard in college. He was not right. attacked. I wish people would simply remember that Braden Smith is playing tackle he may have eventually been there, but he he was moved to tackle as a rookie year because they were out of tackles. Everybody was hurt. Like Webb got hurt. Right, and- Costanzo was hurt, and, and I don't know whether Den- I can't remember, I can't remember all the names. Denzel Good, whatever. But but all of them were hurt, and, and then he was moved to tackle, and has been he's one of the better right tackles in the league. But it, it's just kind of crazy. It, it, the the impression is they've got alligator arms. You know, they've got these little bitty arms. And I've always wondered, what is the difference? I mean, I know what the difference is lengthwise, but between 32 and a half and 34, 35, I think Costanzo might have been 35 or 36. And then Tony Hugo was 36. Well, how'd that work out? But it, I, then, then I, I'm thinking, well, you, you see when you a, a, a boxing match, they show the tail of the tape and somebody's got a two-inch reach on somebody. Well, that's two inches that you're going to be eating leather. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it does matter. But, uh, again, he did mention how they could have, and he was joking, how they have their smallest arms on the right side. But I think what, what what's, I think what's going to happen is Raymond's going to go to camp as the backup and push Matt Pryor. Pryor's going to be given their first shot to, to earn left tackle. Penner will be at, at right guard. And I really think whoever loses at left tackle will go to right guard and push Pinter. So, you know, I think ideally if – I'd be nervous starting Raymond as a rookie left tackle. I, I just would. So maybe Pryor is your guy at least early on, and then you put Raymond over to right guard and let him work there and compete there. Because what, what they said is the best five will play. So if 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 that's if if that's not Pinter, if that's not Raymond, you've got a guy who you would really have a lot of trust in, and you've got Dennis Kelly. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so and he's and he's got he's got a ton of starts to his career. So again, the one area that we thought maybe a month ago that didn't have a lot of depth, all of a sudden now does, and you've got options. But I really expect that Raymond pushes Pryor at right at left tackle. And Pinter will be at right guard and, to, and, and have to fend off either Raymond or Pryor, whoever doesn't win left tackle. We might be getting a little too deep in the weeds here. I'm sure we have tons of time to talk about competition at positions during training camp. But does it concern you at all the idea of moving Raymond away from left tackle rather than just letting him develop and focus on one spot? Well, ideally, you want to leave a guy there, especially a rookie. Let, let him learn the position. Uh, but but 
if, if it's just obvious that Pryor is your guy, then, then you're gonna, and then it's obvious that Raymond is is good enough to play right guard. That's what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. But it's funny we talked to Pryor last week about because he he started five or six, five games last year. I think it was one at left tackle, two at right tackle, or one at left tackle, two at left tackle. Let me get this straight. One at left tackle, two at right guard, and I think two at right tackle, I believe. And I said, well, you know, is it good to be able to move around? And he said, well, he said, what I found is the more you can do, the less you get paid. So, you know, teams love to have the versatility, but players much prefer to be in one spot. It wouldn't be ideal to move Raymond around because you think he's – and he's only played tackle for two years. Remember, he was a, he was a tight end at Central Michigan his first couple of years there. Ideally, leave him there, but but if Pryor's the guy and you think that Raymond gives you the best the best guy at right guard, they'll put him at right guard. And, and I could also see the argument of, well, it's best just to get him on the field, True. get his feet wet as well. We've seen players start at guard and then move to – tackle further down the line so um, I could see it either way it'll be interesting I can't wait for these training camp battles and to see how it shakes out it's not the same thing in the same reason but we opened up talking about Tariq Glenn and the ring of honor his first year as a first round draft pick I believe he played right guard because because he missed almost all of training camp and then he turns into the left tackle of the future so you know it's it's not necessarily where you start where you finish they will play the best five and i'm sure he anybody playing guard would rather finish at tackle because the payday ask ask Braden smith him moving to tackle out of necessity all those years back probably means he's making maybe eight more million dollars a year as a tackle rather than he would as a guard so tackles get paid and and, and some guards if you're named quentin nelson get paid yeah and i'm sure you know that news could break any minute now, really, that he gets this extension. I'm sure that'll happen at some point this summer, just like we saw the Colts extend Leonard and Braden Smith last summer. But and Naheem Hines as well, I believe. Hines as well, yep, the three-year, $15 million. Um, So we'll get to all that as it comes. It's now time to discuss the Colts' schedule. Preseason, I'll just go ahead and fly through this. They play uh, at the Bills Saturday, August 13th. Then they play at the Lions um, Saturday the 20th, and they'll host Detroit for joint practices leading up to the games. Those are always valuable and uh, allow the Colts to kind of go against someone else other than their own teammates who they've been seeing for weeks at that point. Um, And then they finish up preseason with the Bucs. Second year now that we have just three preseason games instead of the four that the NFL previously. How about Tom Brady coming here for a preseason game? Yeah, I mean, how many snaps will he play? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the twenty seventh. So three Saturdays, um, we'll get Colts football in August, leading leading us into the regular season. Regular season is going to open up, Mike. Uh, in what I find a very interesting way, I'll kind of start this discussion by saying I like this schedule for the Colts. I think it's a more preferable schedule to last season, especially how it opens. Week one at Houston, um, I think that's a very winnable game for the Colts, who have not won a season opener since 2013. It's a road. Oh, the Raiders were still in Oakland. The Raiders were still in <laughs> Oakland at that point. Um, I believe you know this was second year of Andrew Luck. 
Um, it's been a lot has changed since then, but something that hasn't changed is the Colts have lost seven, uh, seven straight openers or more than that. They've lost seven straight to Jacksonville at Jacksonville, which is where they'll be in week two. So week one at Houston, week two at Jacksonville. Obviously, these are road games against division opponents, but in my opinion, these are two very winnable games, and I love that they have at Jacksonville early in the schedule so they can kind of get over that hump. Um, Maybe it not being week one works out the best because, you know, this is a new this is a team with a lot of new players who might be figuring things out week one, kind of give them a week to get their feet wet. They don't have to think about Jacksonville like week one, Jacksonville week one, all the way leading into the season. But Mike, if I'm, you know, picking game by game, Colts win loss, I think they start two and oh at this point, which is something we haven't seen from the Colts in a long time. And I take it a little further. If, if this, and you always kind of give the caveat if 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 they are who they think they are, mm-hmm. and and if that's the case, they go three and one at worst. You've got what five division games in your first seven, uh, including Tennessee at home. So you've got a chance in the first month and a half of the season to really exercise a lot of things that have just kind of plagued you. Season opener was it eight straight? They've lost eight straight openers. Jacks at Jacksonville, seven straight on the road to Jacksonville. Then you get that game with Kansas City at home. What a great opener. And, and Kansas City's been known to start slow. I mean, and, and they've got some pieces to get in place. And then you've got Tennessee at home. And, and, again, if you are who you think you are, you have to beat Tennessee at home. You just do. What was overtime last year with some bad play Yeah, that cost you – so, uh, again, you're going to find out in the first seven games what you've got, who you are, are you really a contender? And because you've got after, then after at home with Houston, they're at home with Tennessee, you're, you're at Denver, and then you're at Tennessee again, I think it is. Yeah, the Colts, I'll just go through Jacksonville these first, and then Tennessee. Yeah, these first seven. Um, we talked about at Houston, at Jacksonville, home against the Chiefs home against the Titans week four, then at Denver, um, that's going to be Thursday night football game, Uh, then at home against the Jaguars week six, then at the Titans week seven, you mentioned it, five of their six division games within the first seven weeks of the season. We're going to know a lot about where the Colts stand in terms of winning the division through the first seven weeks of the year. Their only other division game the last week of the season, week 18, at home against Houston. So a lot for the Colts in the AFC South and in the AFC in general is going to be decided within those first seven games because not only do they have all those division games, they have games against teams who you expect to be competing um, for playoff spots with Kansas City and Denver as well. So there's And, gonna- and Tennessee. And Tennessee, exactly, uh, within the division and then maybe fighting, you know, wild cards, something like that. But it doesn't stop there. Week eight, guess who's coming to town? Carson Wentz and the Commanders. That's going to be a very interesting I'm game. I'm betting there won't be a video tribute. I, I don't think there will either. Uh, I'll be interested in, to see the crowd's reactions. I wouldn't expect he'll get straight-up boos. I don't think he's going to necessarily get a um, just – huge applause either so it'll be 60 40 70 30 booze yeah 
Yeah, there, there's going to be a mixed reaction when Carson Wentz comes out there, and we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm sure the Colts are going to be motivated during that game. Um, then week nine, the Colts go to New England to play the Patriots. Mm-hmm. That's always a tough place to play. Then they go to Las Vegas to play the Raiders, a team who looks like they got better this offseason with additions of Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams, uh, and a team who even without those players, beat the Colts last year when they really needed to win to get into the playoffs. Raiders were a playoff team, nearly beat the Bengals and advanced in the playoffs. So this was a good team last year who, on paper, got better. Then week 11, the storylines continue, Mike. The Colts play um, against Philadelphia, Nick Sirianni coming back to Indianapolis, and the Eagles, another team who was good last year, made the playoffs. On the rise. On the rise, looks even better. Year three of Jalen Hurts. They add A.J. Brown to go with them. Um, they signed Bradbury, who we mentioned, to go along with Darius Slay at cornerback. Um, they had a nice draft where they got the massive defensive tackle from Georgia, Davis, um, to play the inside. They signed pass rusher Hassan Reddick. I could go on. The, the Eagles have had a great offseason on paper. They're going to be a tough team. Next week, 12, the Colts play on Monday night football at home home primetime game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers are always a good team. Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh, almost guaranteed, guaranteed to get you at least eight wins every year. He's never not gotten the team eight wins. Even when they were starting quarterbacks like Duck Hodges, they'll have either Mitch Trubisky or rookie Kenny Pickett, which I feel a lot better about um, as someone who's rooting for the Colts when you got to go game plan for a team, a rookie or Mitch Trubisky. I'm not exactly scared of that. Uh, then the very next week, another primetime game, Sunday night football. They play at Dallas. Um, that's going to be a tough one as well. And then they finally get a bye week, week 14. Looking at this middle stretch of the season here, Mike, I don't see any pushovers. Washington should be competitive. They were competitive last year um, without Carson Wentz. And now you, you think they got a quarterback upgrade. Whatever you think about Wentz, you think he's probably an upgrade over? Uh, oh God, I'm blanking on the name. Who was their quarterback last year? Who? who uh, Washington. Oh look man! This up. Uh, you know who I'm? Heineke. Yeah. Taylor Heineke. Right. Um, you you got to think that Washington's going to be a better team. New England, um, Las Vegas. I mean, that's a tough stretch there. What do you think would be successful for the Colts for that one, two, three, four, five, six game stretch? Is this? One of those where you go, okay, if they can go three and three here, right? And, and yeah, three and three with, with Washington, uh, you, you know, it, it magnifies the home games. It mm-hmm. really, it really does, and it really it, it goes back to why those first seven games are so important. You know, you get off of that one and five, one and four start again, you, you, you're done. You, you're going to dig a hole that you can't get out of, more than likely. So it, again, it, it's all based on these guys being better. And just keep in mind, from just a record standpoint and performance standpoint, they don't need, they didn't need that much. They were that close last year. They were one yeah. or two plays away from, and, and one win away from being a playoff team last year. Remember, with two weeks to go, this is a team no one wanted to play. I mean, that's yeah, the hottest team in the, the NFL. Hot, it's crazy how, how the storylines change so dramatically. But this schedule is set up to get off to the good start, you know, kind of hold your own 
and we'll see how good these guys are with Matt Ryan against a really middle of the schedule that's very tough and then find a way to close strong after the bye. I will say I do like the position of the bye. It's a little late in the year, but after that tough stretch of games, it kind of gives them a break before the final, final four competitions of the season, which a lot of these games look very winnable at Minnesota, um, which is a team with a new coaching staff. We'll see. Yeah, Minnesota is one of those weird teams where you look at them on paper, they have a lot of talent, but they always seem to go like eight and eight or eight and nine, I guess, right. with the new game, something like that. Uh, another home primetime game in week 16, the Los Angeles Chargers are coming to game, uh, coming to town Monday night football game. Uh, Herbert and that squad, I'm sure, is going to be tough. They barely missed the playoffs last year with that thriller against the Raiders. Um, and now they bring in J.C. Jackson, Khalil Mack. This looks like a team, another team who was good last year and probably got better. So that's going to be – and it's an AFC battle. So this very well might decide playoff position or a playoff berth. Um, and then they finish up the final two weeks of the year with some pretty winnable games at New York against the Giants – a team that kind of looks like they're rebuilding once again. New coaching staff. They had rebuilding once again, or still. I don't know what what the word is. Still, probably. I guess you have. Which to be, is not a position to be in. No, 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 it's not. Um, but they got Daniel Jones. We'll see what they can do. And then I already mentioned final game of the year at home against Houston. Um, not sure if that game's going to be on Saturday or Sunday. It's one of those flex games, but. I, I, I highly doubt the, the NFL is going to use that as put that in prime time position. Um, but I I, th- I like the way the Colts end the season. It kind of gives them, obviously, you can't take a breath. We learned how that turned out last year, but some easier competition after a very hard stretch during the middle of the year. Um, kind of looking at some takeaways here. Four prime time games is what stands out, two of them at home. Um, I think just last week I asked you guys over under one and a half home primetime games. Everyone took the under. Uh, would have lost that bet. The, Jim Irsay has to be pleased. No team has more than five primetime games. So the NFL is definitely taking interest in this Colts team who added a lot of big names to the roster this offseason. Um, the Colts have had nine uh, primetime games since 2016. All on the road. That's not counting the Thursday night games. That's Monday, Sunday, Monday. Sunday, Monday. I guess you could say Saturday, too, since the NFL plays so many games on Saturday. A um, couple of holiday games. I believe the Colts play Monday night fo- football, December 26th. That's going to be a Christmas game for the Colts. So you open your presents during the day. You got another gift waiting for you at night. Uh, and then the Giants game the very next week, January 1st, New Year's Day. Um, we're going to have NFL football on the TV, so that's going to be nice as well. Everyone who went out and got a little, a little hungover after some New Year's Eve party and can rest on the couch and watch NFL football all day. In terms of strength of schedule, there's two ways to look at this. The kind of old school way is last year's wins and losses. Based on that, the Colts have the sixth easiest schedule. Um, obviously, we know that's a flawed way to look at it. Wins and losses last year it's not a good way to predict wins Well, you're, and play, you're playing in the, the NFC South, too. Exactly. So, so there's six teams against what everybody considers the worst division in the league. Absolutely. But a kind of more nuanced approach to look, to, 
at it based on 2022 Vegas forecasted win totals. So, you know, the, the, the record that Las Vegas, the, the um, wins and losses they set for the teams this coming year, the Colts have the third easiest schedule. That's according to Warren Sharp, who does some good work. But whatever way you want to look at it, the Colts have one of the easier schedules in the NFL. And it's not easy. There are some tough games on here. So um, I, I like this schedule for Indianapolis. We talked about the division games early. Mike, looking at this schedule as a whole, everything the Colts have done this offseason, what we think they might do over the next coming months to maybe add some veterans or whatnot, uh, what would be your prediction in terms of Colts wins and losses this year? My first reaction is 10-7. and seven. But I think, if, again, I, I am buying what they've done this year, this offseason. I would push it without going game by game. But just looking at it in the feel I have on the roster, I think 11-6 and six is realistic. But it so much depends on those first seven games and getting out of the gate, taking care of business. And I agree with you. Having Jacksonville the second game of the season, you talk about – Pivotal game. They're going to hate to hear. They're, well, you guys can't beat these guys. Well, and they're going to say, well, you know, see, well, then beat them. It's going to hang over their heads until they do. Be, it. Beat them then. Shut us up and, and beat them. And Jim Irsay has been barking about being handled by Tennessee the last two, two and a half years, whatever it is. Didn't beat them. Didn't beat them. And if you can beat them, if you can take care of business early, I think 11 and 6 is certainly within reach. It's funny you said that because I was right with you. I was like 10 and 7, and they're 11 and 6. I'll give them 11 and 6 as well. I think I think they could very well double up on Tennessee and go 2 and 0 against them. I would if I had to put money, I would say they at least win one game against Tennessee, um, whether that's at home or on the road, I'm not sure. But you've got to go 5 and 1 in the division. Yes, you just you, do. You you, you got to sweep Houston. You got to sweep Jacksonville, um, and then split with Tennessee. I think eleven and six probably wins the division. We kind of talked last week about how we think Tennessee's maybe taking a little bit of a step back, um, and the Colts have taken a step forward. The Colts were so close to beating the Titans twice last year. They really should have beaten them at home, where they got off to the quick 14 to nothing lead and then they got the interception oh boy this might be 21 that, to nothing that, that goes down as maybe the pivotal play of the season Taekwondo Ty- Lewis, Lewis. cuz not only does he intercept it and blow out his patella and fumble then on the next play what the next play book it was very next play where Xavier Rhodes showed how not to tackle on the sideline and AJ Brown went whatever the heck it was 50 yards for a touchdown so instead of 21 or 17-0 is 14-7. Incredible. Incredible. And the Colts, you know, after losing that momentum, still almost won. We, we've talked about it 100 times. The Wentz left had to pass, um, and then all of a sudden he brings him back to fourth overtime. You get into overtime, he throws into triple coverage uh, to Michael Pittman Jr. That's kind of the, the play. People who want to criticize Wentz that they bring up time and time again the forcing the ball triple coverage to Michael Pittman Jr. when you had Allie Cox and Jonathan Taylor wide open underneath. I think Matt Ryan is going to be a guy who's more than willing to check the ball down to the likes of uh, Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines and just let them do the, do the hard work out there. But we'll see this upcoming year. We bo- both have the Colts going 11-6. I think they're going to win the division. But there's a lot of time between now and then. 
who knows? Uh, key players could go down, could get injured. Um, we, COVID is still out there, and that, I'm sure that'll impact the season um, again this year, just like it did last year. We'll just have to see how this all plays out. But as of right now, the Colts are looking like they're in a pretty good spot to get into I, I, the playoffs. I, I always kind of take a cue from the odds makers because, you know, they keep building casinos. Yeah. And once that the Colts traded for Matt Ryan, they became like the slight favorite in the AFC South. And I think with what has happened since then with losing A.J. Brown and what the Colts have done. Gilmore. Right. I, I think the Colts are a stronger favorite, which all that means is that's, you know, that's who, who the odds makers like, Vegas likes. You've got to, you know, keep in mind the odds makers like the Colts to win by, what was it, 13 or 14 in Jacksonville last year. So we have to keep that in mind. But I, I like where this team is. And, again, I if they're not contending – for the AFC South in December, then then somebody's got some answers to, to, to give us. Something would have gone drastically wrong um, at that point. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to call it a show on that note. Please follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. You can follow Mike on Twitter at mchapel51. If you like, you can follow me as well at Roto Street Joe. Um, and please download and subscribe for us so that you get our new episodes week after week, and uh, my bosses are happy with our download numbers. That, well, that would will go Dave be here way. next week, or is he still going to use the 500 as an excuse not to join us? You know what? I have no idea. I'm going to guess the 500 as we get closer. He's, he's just, probably he, going to get just, busier. He's just big-timing us. I know. I know. Down there at the track while we're stuck in this musty room over here. No. No, it's great. Dave's, Dave's great. He's out there. He's a busy guy. He works hard, and uh, we'll be working hard. Over here, focus on the Colts. So thanks again for listening, and until next time, take it easy, Colts fans.